Uh, grace and peace to you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors at this church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I hope to at some point. Um, Romans chapter 12, we've been talking about what it means to be a community knit together in love. And for weeks, we've been looking at this short list of commands and exhortations that we just heard recited. And it gives a portrait of what a community knit together in love looks like. It's a passage that begins with a call to genuine love. And all of the other phrases and exhortations flow out of that call to love and give us a different aspect of love. As if love were like a multifaceted diamond. And each week we've been turning it to see love from a different angle. Or you could imagine it as a a mosaic or like a stained glass window where each of these individual phrases is like a pane in that window. And when you put them together, you get a picture. And the picture is genuine love. And our heart has been to take out each pane of glass, each phrase, and to turn it over in our minds and to study its beauty and to consider its contribution to the whole. And the point of all this, of course, is to evaluate our lives next to that portrait. How is our community doing as it relates to genuine love? Is this what our life looks like? Is this what our community looks like? And today we take out the little pain that says, love honors. It's in verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Three questions I want to ask of the text this morning. What does it mean to honor? Who Are we called to honor? And how hard are we supposed to work at it? What is honor? Who are we called to honor? How hard are we supposed to work at it? You game? Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, by Your Spirit, would You move in our midst and show us genuine love and what it means to outdo one another in showing honor. We pray uh, for you to be among us. We know that you will answer that prayer. We're grateful for your presence. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. First, what is honor? The Greek word here is timē. Can you say timē? Yeah, it's a word that means to assign value or to prize. It was originally a financial word to literally talk about what something was worth, how much you were willing to pay for something. It's where we get the idea of an honorarium, so that's a helpful idea to me as I think about honor. We give an honorarium to someone when they come into our community to speak, when they make an investment in our community, a guest preacher or a guest pastor, somebody who deposits something in us, and we give them a gift of money, usually keeping in line with their level of value and status to say what you did mattered to us. You matter to us. Or you might think of uh, 
internet content creators and their Patreon accounts and how when they're, they're always asking for money and they're always trying to create content that's valuable to you so that you will make a contribution to them so that their side hustle can become their main hustle. Uh, but what you're saying when you give money is this matters to me. This is valuable to me. But of course, honor isn't just about money. It, it stands for all of the ways that we tangibly recognize someone or something's contribution to our life or to our community. All of the various ways that we find to say, you matter. You matter. I value you. You are a person of great value to me. It's to respond to another person's worth. To recognize their value, contribution, and importance. Uh, Another helpful way to think about honor is to think about what it means to honor God. What do we do when we honor God? We are recognizing how glorious He is. How great He is. How beautiful He is. You know, sometimes we confuse honor and glory in our theology, but it's helpful to make the distinction. Glory is the value that something has implicitly, in and of itself, whether you recognize it or not. God has glory whether or not you recognize it, whether or not you honor that fact. Whether we worship Him or ignore Him, God is glorious. His glory is not diminished in any way. By how you respond to him. Honor is when we choose to recognize his glory. When we bring our lives in alignment to what we know about God's reality. And so in Revelation chapter 5, there's this great worship service in the heavenlies. And you have all of the elders, whoever they are, and the great hosts of heaven around the throne of God. And they're worshiping. But it doesn't use the word worship for what they're doing. It uses the word honor. Honor. A multitude recognizing the value of God. Recognizing the contribution that God has made to their life and to the world. And that's what it means to honor people. Not to worship them, but to be moved to a tangible expression of gratitude when we recognize a person's value, worth, and importance. It's a wonderful thing to be valued, is it not? To feel honor. Has there ever been a time when you felt honored? I wonder what that was like. What did they do? How did it make you feel? Think about someone who has made a significant contribution to your life. Someone you'd like to honor in your heart. Who's helped you into being, (laughs) to become who you are. Who's cared for you. You wouldn't be here without them. I wonder who they may be. Maybe they're one of those saints in heaven, (laughs) honoring God. 
I bet they're glad to know about the contribution they've made to your life. Maybe they're still here on earth and they could hear about that contribution. Hold them in your heart. That feeling that you feel that resides there with that person, that's honor. So that's the first question. What is honor? The second is, who are we supposed to honor? And that, my friends, is maybe the most surprising and wonderful thing about this text. It's no surprise that we're called to honor God. God is awesome. And not in like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles way, like the true meaning of awesome. Um, and there's these special people that came to our mind when we thought about who we want to, to honor. But what's wonderful about this text is that we're not called to honor someone of elevated status, like a, a judge or a celebrity or a politician or a Jedi or anything like that. But who we're called to honor is one another. One another. That's you. That's me. That's everybody. That everybody should be recognized as a person of great value. Um, That everyone is supposed to be treated as a person of great value. And it's not that there aren't distinct roles that are worthy of a, a certain kind of honor. It's just that there's enough honor to go around. You see, honor isn't first of all something that God commands. Honor is first of all something that God gives and bestows to each one of us. God, the glorious God, honors us. It's the thing that the psalmist in Psalm 8 just can't get over in his prayer when he says, what is a human being that you are mindful of them? The son of man that you care for him, yet you have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings. And listen to this. Crowned them with glory and honor. Every human being has had a coronation of glory and honor from God. And so that person sitting next to you or in our wide sanctuary behind you, look at the size of their crown. It's ridiculous. Crowned with glory and honor, the supreme worth of every human being affirmed at creation and then reaffirmed in redemption. That when humanity lost its way, when the the car of humanity broke down, when we turned away from God and we were headed towards destruction, God paid the highest cost imaginable to keep us from that fate. And in doing so, in giving his own son, he deeply affirmed our value to him. It reminds me of those wonderful lines from O Holy Night. And yes, it's only October, 
but Target's got the Christmas stuff up, so so do I. It's that long, have you thought about this line? It's wonderful. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, till Christ appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's a humdinger of a line. That, that we were worth the journey. Worth the effort. That you and I matter ultimately in the eyes of God. And it was worth the risk and the hurt and the rejection and the suffering of the Son. So that God would know. So that God could communicate to us that we are the object of His affection. The apple of his eyes. What honor. What an incredible thing for a human being to feel its worth. To know that you are a person created in the image of God and to be treated as such. Are a value affirmed in creation, reaffirmed in redemption, doubly crowned with glory and honor. And somehow, that's the thing that we're supposed to be working out together. To try to create a culture that reflects that reality. That the person sitting next to you is not Joe in a t-shirt. They are Joe crowned with glory and honor. The woman sitting next to you is no mere mortal. They are crowned with glory and honor. We've had people come to, we've had some folks who are like, you know, D-list famous come to the the church, you know, like people from the football team or whatever. And Isaac and I will be like, oh man, that person from the football team is at church today. And I thought, well, I started thinking this week, what What if we treat, that's right, but everybody needs to be treated that way. Look, Isaac. There's Sarah with two kids. Sarah with two kids is here today. Sarah with two kids is here today. I'm going to text that out. There's Sammy. Sammy is in our small group. Holy cow. Crowned with glory and honor. Sammy is in our small group. We laugh because we don't treat people that way. And we're supposed to. There's this interesting line from 2 Corinthians 5, 5, 5.16, where the apostle says, From now on we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, we we regard, we see no one from a worldly point of view. It's not just what we see on the outside. We no longer filter people through our categories and preferences. We have a lens of divine value To see every person as Christ does. And Christ had this filter of honor for everyone that he encountered. Regardless of the contempt that the culture had showed them, he treated them differently. He he didn't see tax collectors. He didn't see prostitutes. He didn't see sinners. He didn't see uptight religious people. He didn't see outcast Samaritans. He saw people crowned with glory and honor, worthy of welcome and recognition, honor. 
And so he says, outdo one another in showing honor. And before this begins to sound like an after-school special or something, let me begin to apply this. Because I think, first of all, you need to remember that Paul is writing to people who don't like one another and who disagree strongly. Paul is writing to a group of Jews and Gentiles who didn't get along, and what he's saying is remember honor. Remember the value of others amidst your disagreements. You know, sometimes we forget that, don't we? We forget to observe a a, a baseline of respect and dignity through our words and our actions, especially when it comes to politics in our ideological spectrums. Just consider how quote-unquote opponents are discussed on social media platforms and by the late-night talking heads in language that is so often dishonoring, sometimes dehumanizing. There's so much condescension. There's so much anger. And as Christ followers, we're called to avoid these This toxic culture of dishonor. And in Christ's name, we choose to to turn the channel on dishonor. And instead to breathe the air of civility and respect and honor and dignity. A culture of honor is a place where people who deeply differ nonetheless listen long and carefully before speaking. They avoid straw men arguments when discussing differences. They stretch to understand the other side's view. So that the other person will say, man, you represent my position in a more compelling way than even I could. A place where our enemies are treated even with common dignity and respect. In just a chapter, he's going to say, honor those in governing authority over you. And you may say, well, he didn't know who was in governing authority over us, or he would have never said that. It was was Nero. Nero was a bad dude. He was a bad dude. And somehow he was saying, "Even, even with our enemies, we are called to bless, honor, value, a baseline of civility, respect. We work to honor those we have actively dishonored. We also work to honor those who, who contribute to our lives, but that they do tasks that the world sees as less honorable. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about the body. And he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, there are parts of the body that seem to be weaker and are indispensable but are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think, listen to this, less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Paul's point here is that there are people in our community that we take for granted or we're tempted to or that we ignore. Uh, But if they were to step out of our community we would feel pain. It's like when there's a part of your body, like a foot. I don't often get up in my 
in the morning and just thank God for my feet. Lord, thank you for my feet. My feet are great. You don't thank God for your feet until your feet, have you ever had a foot injury? And it takes you out and you're immobilized. And then for a while after you heal, you thank God for your feet. There are people who are like that in our community. There are people who are, we are less likely to honor. I get a lot of honor. I get a lot of criticism, but I get a lot of honor too. But there are folks in our community that we take for granted, that we ignore, that we don't think about. They're the folks in the nursery. They're the diaconate. There are greeters. There's John Adams who cleans this joint. An army of people that you never see doing stuff for Jesus. I promise you I'm not the one running this church. The people who are actually running the church are the folks who are the relational giants in the room that hold people together, hold community groups together. And if they were to step out of this place, the whole thing would fall down. And we don't even know their names. And we can treat people in our life with a sense of entitlement. We're not just to honor those at the top. That's how it works in the world. It goes from the bottom up. In the kingdom, it goes from the top down. The top down. We, how do we honor everyone? We start with those we dishonor. We stop doing that. Then we look at the people doing the less honorable things and we lift them up. And finally, we look at those people who need honor the most. Because they've done something dishonorable in the sight of the world. Honor is most powerful when you don't feel like you deserve it. It's the inmate freshly released who receives welcome in the church community. The person who feels like they're not worth much because of how they spent the last couple nights. The person who the world has left behind. To have someone in that place have a group of people say, you matter. You are valuable. I honor you. That was just Jesus' M.O. Jesus saw people no one else honored and say, I value you. I value you, tax collector. I have a place for tax collectors in my heart. I value you, prostitute. I, you've been married and divorced multiple times. I value folks in that situation. He just walked around and everyone that no one saw value in, he saw value in. And he brought them in and he healed them and he raised them up and released them into a future and into a hope. And so a culture of honor is always looking for a diamond in the rough. Consider Jesus' apostles. Teenage fishermen, bad fishermen. Every time we see them fishing, they never catch any fish. They're not just fishermen, they are bad fishermen. And Jesus looks at them, and you know what he sees? Apostles. That's great leadership development. And here's the question, why didn't anyone else see that? What, what were the Pharisees doing when they were walking by and they saw Peter? Why didn't they say, Peter, I see something in you, man. I said, Peter, keep fishing. 
Jesus comes along and said, Peter, you're, I see a fisher of men. You need bigger nets. You got a destiny and a hope. And later on when Peter fails, he goes back to the nets. And what does Jesus do? He comes right back to him and says, it's not fish, buddy. It's bigger than fish. It's people. And he gives him what the world would never give him. And what's the result? The, fi- the bad fishermen and the crooked tax collectors from someplace like Lincoln, Nebraska end up turning the world upside down. And I, I, just, I will just tell you that this church has done that. That I am here in this position because the former pastor of this church, Mike Shue, sauce. A ragamuffin kid smelling like cigarette smoke and amigos take out. And he looked into the chaos of my life and said, I see a pastor. I think God's calling you to be a pastor. No one had ever said anything like that to me ever. And I am here in front of you because someone saw something in me and called it out and put me in a position of honor. When you honor people, gifts are unleashed. When you have a culture of honor, gifts are unleashed. And so I've been wondering, why can't we get people to volunteer? Why can't we get people to recommend people for the diaconate? And maybe, you know what I thought this week? Maybe we need to take a step back. Maybe we just, we haven't created a culture of honor. That sees and recognizes one another's gifts and calls them out. Maybe we need to start at that place. Last point. It's a short one. How hard are we supposed to work at this? Pretty hard. Notice, notice the language here. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. It speaks to a kind of exertion, Right? A kind of urgency, a community that would be kind of tripping over one another to say, oh, I honor you. No, I honor you. Let me give way to your preference. No, 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 no. Let me give way to your preference. But notice that he frames it as a kind of contest. And some of you who are competitive are like, yeah, I got this. That's what I needed to gamify honor. Um. But notice the irony. It's so beautiful. In every other contest, athletes are competing against one another to get the honor, to get the prize. But in the irony and beauty of God's kingdom, when you win at this game, someone else gets honored. You go, someone else is in the spotlight. You've helped someone else get onto the winner's platform and it just fills your heart with joy. I feel that about my kid. When my kid scores a goal or when really they do anything on, in related to sports, I'm like, yes! It's, I'm more happy than if I, than if I would have done it. What would it be like to do that with one another? It's what Jesus is like with us. He leaves his, he has outdone us in showing honor. By leaving the high place and by lifting us up from the lowest place and putting us on the winner's platform 
God's love, eternal life, hope, glory, honor. I'll close with this. I said that before. This is the second closing short thing. We live in a world where dishonor is the wallpaper of our lives. It's in the way folks talk around the office. It's in the hallways at our school. It's certainly in our media feeds. It's in the church, and it's in our hearts. It's everywhere, and I think we're tired of it. I think folks in this world are hungry for honor. What if there was a community who was working together to restore honor to its rightful place at the heart of community, a culture of honor where people who vehemently disagreed could talk to one another with reverence and respect, where the lowly ones were recognized, where the shame were restored, a place where the soul could feel its worth, a community not filled with social workers, but with honor workers who looked for the places of shame and contempt in one another's lives and worked to restore a sense of honor by lifting high the cross of Christ and by following Him. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You that You deemed it wise to honor us when we had botched the job, when we'd broken down the car, when we'd made a wreckage of things, our relationships, our life, our hearts, you said, I love these. I see something in them. I value these people. I care for them. I want to to honor them. I'm going to pay the highest price possible so that they would know their value and their worth. Then you send us out, Lord God, to 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 somehow imperfectly but really create little pockets of divine honor in the world. We need a ton of help in doing that. Help us turn the channel on dishonor. If, if If there's things we need to avoid, to avoid the toxicity of dishonor, help us to do it. Choose different inputs. Help us to recognize and see those who need honor around us and lift them high. Lord God, help us to create a culture of honor. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.